Taking on a new leadership role comes with many challenges. What do you do when you feel lost? Plus, exactly what to say again and again to create psychological safety for your team. It's happening now on Boss Better Now. You're listening to Boss Better Now. Please welcome speaker, author, and world's worst grass edger, Joe Mall. <laughs> Hello again, Boss Heroes, and thank you for sharing time with us this week. Whether you are listening at work or at home or in the car or during a workout or maybe on a much-deserved vacation, we are thrilled to bring you advice, humor, and encouragement as you strive daily to boss better. Please welcome my co-host, I'm not at all sure about her grass edger skills, professional coach, Alyssa Mullet. Hello, my friend. Hello. I, I, I would, we're talking about like weed eating, right? Yeah, like with the weed whacker where you have to go around and do the edging before you cut yes. the whole yard. Yeah. Oh, we do it after. Maybe that's your problem. Well, but, <laughs> but, but when you do the edging, you got to do it before because it throws all the big tall stuff and then you need to like vacuum it up with the... Oh, then we Mower. have a blower. Then we have a blower oh. thing that we use after all of that is done. I think that's where you're going wrong. So I I think I have superb edging skills. I, I think that I am much above average. So I'm going to need you to teach God. me your ways. My my <laughs> issue is I constantly break the string, you know, the little plastic oh. things, right? Yeah, and I've yeah. tried everything. I've tried, like, make sure you come in on the angle. And, and you know, it, it, I feel like it's not that I'm getting too close because as soon as I get a little too far away, I'm not actually cutting the stuff on the edge. I have many skills, I think. This is not <laughs> one of them. It's a lifelong struggle. Well, it also depends, I think, solely on the uh, surface that you're going up against. So, for mm -hmm. instance... Like if we're edging the driveway, that's like totally cool zone. I don't have to break the string. Don't have to have that like at the ready. But along the fence line, just get an extra roll whenever we're going to do that because we're going to have to switch it out uh, several okay. Maybe it's not just me. I mean, I feel like I'm I'm replacing the string three times during oh, each. Yeah. Okay. okay, so that's you too? Yes, yes. That That is not indicative of performance, Joe. That is not indicative. That's the that is the territory that comes with edging of fences. So it is hmm. it is okay. You're not. This, it's not you. This is so this is affirming. Perfect. You really are such a great coach. <laughs> I see you. I hear you. Let me validate you. <laughs> well, I'm so glad this came up today. I'm going to go whack some weeds when I get home and feel a lot better about it. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to start today, Alyssa, with a question that came in recently over an email from a supervisor who's in a new role. Uh, and when she came into this role, she made a pretty big change in her life. Tammy in Virginia uh, emailed and asked me about feeling lost uh, with new supervisors in a new role after almost 25 years in a prior role. And what she basically said is, um, I feel overwhelmed and the, you know my supervisors are great and everybody's been really accommodating, but I just feel like I'm having a hard time getting up to speed. I feel like I'm having a hard time um, getting all the training that I need to be successful. And while she has asked for help, she feels like she doesn't want to ask for help too often. Otherwise, she would be seen as unqualified or maybe not adapting to the position. 
And so we had an email exchange a little bit, and I think this particular kind of question is something that a lot of supervisors struggle with, whether you're new to leadership or maybe you've moved into a different role or you've changed organizations or maybe you've moved from one kind of industry to another after a long time. Uh, and so I, I thought I would tap into the coach in you and ask you a little bit about uh, where you would start with somebody who has these kinds of struggles. So the first things that generally come up for me um, in trying to understand where this feeling of lostness is, is what is the definition of found, right? She right. obviously came from a situation in which she felt like she was the an expert. She had a certain level of, you know, high level of experience in uh that environment. And so <laughs> we first have to say, what is truly the expectations right. that we're holding? And that's twofold. One, what are the expectations that we're holding for ourselves? And then the other side of that is, what is the reality of the expectations that the job has of us? Because yes. inevitably, we are our own worst critic and mm -hmm. we think that we should be the expert day two right. of the new job, right? Because I have so much experience. I have this, I have that, but it's a completely different environment. These are completely yeah. other new humans that you have to learn. And that takes time. Absolutely. It takes time. I, so I, what do you think is, is the, um, the answer or the strategy that we should try to coach supervisors towards in these kinds of new transitions? Well, you nailed the first one, I think, which is how do we calibrate our expectations in, in the early stages of any new job, even if someone is listening to this and they're not a supervisor? Uh, I have been known to describe taking a new job, uh, leadership role or not, as going back to stupid. Right. And whatever previous job you had, you probably had insight and experience under your belt. You knew intricate details. You knew who to call for what. You knew the, the politics and the personalities of the people around you. Uh, and when you step into a new job, you have none of that. And so the first few months in any new role uh, can be stressful and exhausting for that very reason. And now you add into it that you're trying to make a good impression on your team. You're trying to make a good impression on uh, your, your new bosses. You know that there's kind of this window of time to uh, to get people to perceive you as competent and trustworthy and caring, and you know that if you, if you start off on the wrong foot, that you could be trying to climb out of a hole you've dug for yourself. So you could put a lot of pressure on yourself as a leader. Uh, but you're right; the only cure is time. At, at, at first, we have to give ourselves grace and continue reminding ourselves that we're capable and that we are going to get more comfortable with each passing day. And and I don't think if we can commit to that, that the feeling won't will last for very long. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I also think, and this will be the second thing I would be coaching around, is where does that feeling come from that there is is um, a negative consequence to asking for help too often when you're new? I think that, I, I mean, I get it, but I think sometimes we have to talk ourselves out of that, right? Mm-hmm. There's like, there's only this one allotment of help that we're allowed, right? And somehow by asking the three questions or asking for that one other thing, we have 
filled it already to capacity within the first, you know, month on the job. No. Right. You know, as you evolve, you learn what you don't know. So it's incumbent upon us to continually have that self-awareness as to what we need to grow and learn and then check that against, again, expectations of our own and the actual organizational expectations to then say, okay, what are the resources that I have the um, availability for? What is on the future? What have I already learned that maybe I'm not giving myself credit for mentally, you know, internally um, that I can draw upon too? So, you know, it's this, this thing of scarcity, I think too, is that there's, there's only so much and you don't want to take it away from someone else. But I, I, you know, in, in some circumstances that has been the reality of uh, training and development, right? Uh, I think that we, we got that honestly in some um, organizations, at least I did, but the other part of that, the flip side is that if that is the organization that you find yourself in where there is this finite amount of resources yes. or development that they're going to allow you to have, yeah. better to learn sooner than later. Right. And and the problem isn't you, right? It's probably That's unrealistic. Right. If, if it feels like, okay, I got 12 questions, right? I got, I got a dozen tokens that I can use before people are going to start to question my competence. That's particularly unfair. And if we spot yeah. that in a, in a new role, uh, we have to do the hard work of saying, you know what? This is not me. I am capable. I'm asking the right questions. Um, why is the culture here maybe not as supportive as it could be? Uh, you know, I think the truth is that in most places, you get what I call new guy immunity for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I think you get it for up to a year when you're in a new role. And if you ask people, how long does it take to uh, adapt to a new role and to really fully step into it? I-, I don't think you can say at a minimum anything less than a year because workplaces have cycles. And in- if you get hired in November, 10 months later, you might know a lot, but you still never experienced in October. Yeah. You know, and, and different things happen at different points in the calendar. And we we have to be able to give voice to that if we're feeling pressure by people around us that, hey, I, you know, if, if you're getting feedback that you're not adapting uh, as quickly as they'd like, then we need to probe and ask for more specific examples and then maybe more specific support to get there. If we have to ask for training, if we have to ask for time, those are reasonable requests for anyone who is still in that first year, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. That. The fear, I think, or the um, of us asking um, comes from a different place than what we most likely want to admit, Um, you know, is that truly like about fear that we're not good enough for that job, Mm. fear that we don't truly have, you know, what it takes, the whole imposter syndrome that is so rampant, uh, you know, that every level of person on the planet still deals with in, in some uh, form or fashion. So I think, you know, also trying to do some self-work around what is that fear for me personally, you know, trying to take a little deeper dive in curiosity for yourself as to what's behind that fear. 
And I think if we also stop and ask ourselves, when people ask questions, and in particular, a lot of questions, in an effort to try to know and understand, what's the result? How do people experience that? In most cases, it's not experienced as a character flaw. It's not a defect. In most cases, I think people will see someone who is determined and who is dedicated to getting it right. Uh, and this is actually what I told her in, in the email that I wrote back to her, because I know the, the folks who are uh, over top of her in this particular organization. And I just tried to reassure her that what I know about them as leaders um, is that they want her to ask for help often, and they want her to ask for more training if she needs it, uh, and that they picked her because they thought she was capable, because they thought her her values and her traits would be a good fit for the organization, and they can teach her everything else that she needs to know to be successful in the role. And so to not be afraid to ask for help because other people will see she cares, she's invested. And, and I think the same thing is true, not just asking for help up to the people that supervise us, but the people that we're supervising. I think when mm -hmm. we're a new leader, if we have an experienced team underneath us, we can ask them, hey, help me understand. I, I wanna know why this is the way that it is. I, I wanna make sure that I'm really absorbing as much as I can. And when, when my boss comes to me and says, hey, can you help me understand this better? That's actually empowering for me too. So you get a lot of good stuff actually going in the workplace when you as a leader aren't afraid to ask questions, when you aren't afraid to say, I don't know. The, the, the leader that is able to say, I don't know, is, is taking that first step into the very vulnerability that we know is so key to leadership. Absolutely. And and look what she did. She took that first step in vulnerability for herself by saying, I feel lost. Yeah. I, I'm not quite sure of my footing uh, of where I stand. And I, here's what my fears are. So kudos, you're already succeeding at this role. You're doing it. The self-awareness is there. I think we can call her a boss hero. Yes, absolutely. And we define it as someone who who uh, cares enough to strive daily to create the conditions for their people to thrive, but don't always doesn't always know how. You know, and and that's exactly what she's raising her, her hand to say. I care about doing a really good job because of the people who hired me for this organization and for the people in my charge, but I don't feel like I'm there yet, and I need help. It's the very definition of being a boss hero. Yeah, way to go, and Tammy. And I think, too, if I could also include in there, we do all of those things for ourselves, too. It's mm. not being a boss has to also encompass wanting and caring for ourselves and, and making sure that we have those that environment for ourselves too. So that takes a lot yes. of hard vulnerability and courage. So, And only yay. when we do that can we actually show up as the best as the best kind of boss. Right. And be That's at our right. best for people. Yeah. Well, friends, what do you think? We want to hear from you. We want both your reactions to uh, Tammy's question and uh, maybe some uh, strategies or tactics or insights that you've gained when you transition to do a new leadership role and maybe struggled a little bit. Uh, if you're watching this episode online, just drop a comment below the video. Otherwise, you can email the show at bossbetternow at gmail.com. 
We come once again, Alyssa, to the camaraderie question of the week. It's my favorite segment this week. And we do it because bosses build camaraderie on teams by making it easier for people to find things in common with each other. That's why, Boss Heroes, every week we give you a question you can use at meetings to facilitate connection and build camaraderie. Uh, And I think because we know how important laughter is in the workplace... Uh, and learning how people's senses of humor work, that this could be a really fun question to take to your team. Here it is. Tell us your favorite PG-rated joke. Now, I gave you this ahead of time, Melissa. I know. And I think that the the, the PG uh, qualifier is, is important. <laughs> right. This is because a family-friendly I- show. It is. And you'll be glad to know, at least I hope this is a, a, a PG enough thing. I got mine straight from TikTok, but it was <laughs> it was on the dad uh, dad joke okay. TikTok. So I, ha- I have full confidence that it, it should fall in that PG range. If it's a true dad joke, I will love it because I'm I'm a I'm a bit of a dad joke aficionado. How do you oh, know yeah. if something is a dad joke? It's apparent. Oh, thanks Lord. for coming. Oh. Thank you. Don't forget to dip your waiter. That you isn't even the joke I brought to answer this question. <laughs> I just had to throw that out there. I'm sorry. I threw you off. Okay, your favorite PG rated joke straight from TikTok. A dad joke by definition layered on us. Okay, so. What do you call it whenever you uh, hit Dwayne Johnson's bum? <laughs> is this the, we're already creeping into PG thirteen territory? But okay, I don't know what is it. Rock bottom. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I am simultaneously entertained and disappointed that I did not come up with that. I feel like how do you not? Know that that How do you not is see coming. That? Yeah. Right. That's great. I'm going to yeah. pat myself on the back for that so one. So I'm going to make sure I get it right because I'm going to go home and tell my kids. What do you call it when you hit Dwayne Johnson's bum? Yes. I like that you use the word bum. It, that, bum. That's the G rated word. And the that answer is, is, is rock bottom. It's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. And, oh. and just in case anybody listening to this doesn't know who Dwayne Johnson is, he's The Rock, you know, the actor who, who The Rock, who used to be a wrestler, yes. and he's an actor. And yeah, um, fantastic joke. Applause to you, my friend. <laughs> Kudos to Dad Joke TikTok. <laughs> that might be a necessary follow after this. I'm going to have to check that out. Go. Oh, wait, I'm okay. not on TikTok. <gasps> really? I'm not. Nope, I'm not on TikTok. Uh-uh. Oh, I just like Jack. I got enough things that vie for my attention in the morning when I'm drinking my coffee and I already stare at my phone too much. I'm just like, uh, I don't think I can get there. this is not a morning thing. This is after the kids go to bed at <laughs> night, like just scrolling through getting uh, like I I learn. I laugh. I'm amazed. I'm sometimes shocked. <laughs> it has you just it described it the has Internet. Everything on the internet fits that description. (laughs) He's got jokes today, folks, all day. All right, so give us the real joke. What's your real? The one I brought to you. I I have I have known and and um recalled this joke for many many years. I don't know why it holds a special place in my heart, but it just does. Here we go. What do you call a fish with no eye? 
fish with no eye. I, I, I don't know. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, what do you call a fish with no eye? <laughs> I should have gone first. Yours was better. <laughs> <laughs> but it that was that's a definitively wholesome and and funny. It is funny. That's a good one you could tell your kids. Uh, not long ago, uh, my my older son, Miles, brought a joke home that is built the same way. And I saw it coming, and he was a little disappointed because he was like, hey, Dad, what do you call a bear with no ear? And I was like, uh, <laughs> He was like, how did you know that? I, I totally stole his thunder. I felt really bad. <laughs> yeah, that's not cool, man. Don't do that. Joke fail. <laughs> Well, hey, take this joke to your teams. Go around a circle in a huddle one morning. Grab a couple of uh, of dad jokes. I'm pretty sure it's going to generate some smiles that we can all use as much of that as possible. And that's the camaraderie question of the week. Well, we come now to another segment that is one of my favorites. I, I say that all the time. Like, they're all my favorites. We have a lot of fun with these different segments. Uh, and like this your children. Segment, they the are. I, I, and, and, you know, trying to figure out how to make enough space and time and attention for each one on our show can be challenging sometimes. And this is not a segment we've done recently. This segment is called Boss Scripts. <laughs> Was some funky dancing you were dropping right there on our YouTube. I felt so snazzy. Like that was so catchy and upbeat. And he the move. Well, and this is a script that I think in one way or another, we have probably um, tossed out there in various conversations that we've had about how to create workplaces that are more psychologically safe for folks. How do you get people mm -hmm. to open up? How do you get people to feel comfortable admitting when they're not at their best, when they've made a mistake, right? That's what psychological safety is, the belief that I'm not going to be penalized or humiliated for speaking up or making a mistake or expressing concerns. Uh, and our boss script today is really about both how to draw that out and how to respond. And so here's the script. I care about you. How can I help? Mm. And I think sometimes we overcomplicate the kinds of interactions that we want and should have with our direct reports. And especially if, if somebody does give voice to a struggle or a concern or not being at their best or, hey, I'm feeling burned out or um, I'm just not not fully plugged in at work. Um, you know, the first part of that is, I think, the most important part. Part It's the explicit acknowledgement that I care more about you as a person than I do with the work product right now. And so yeah. those four words, I care about you, I think carry so much power. And then when we immediately follow them with, how can I help? We're not necessarily asking a question that's entirely limited in scope to what we do here at work or my, my role for you as a leader. It's just a, a much more humane, caring response. I care about you. How can I help? Let's talk about some of the other power in that, Alyssa, and what kind of responses that can elicit and why, why that it does elicit, why it does elicit some powerful responses sometimes. It's, I think the explicitness of saying, I care about you is the piece that 
we oftentimes get so hung up on because we put these expectations on ourselves as leaders to have all of the answers. When someone comes to us with a problem, whether it be personal, professional, we're supposed to have the answer, right? And when they come to us in a way that doesn't necessarily present itself as in those blocks of of space professionally, it's hard and vulnerable to communicate once again explicitly that you care about them. Mm -hmm. And so we work really hard generally at showing people that, but we don't say it. Yeah. Because that's where the real icky, squishy, gooey, oh, I'm getting into that feeling zone. Am I allowed to? That doesn't feel like I should. All of those different kinds of grayness comes Mm -hmm. in. But if we truly acknowledge that we're allowed to have feelings of care and deep uh, empathy Mm -hmm. for the people that work with us, that's a tremendous part of being a leader that isn't just someone that shows up that can lead a team. That's bringing your authentic self, your whole self into the workplace. And whenever you can be vulnerable enough to explicitly say, I care about you, that's like the professional, I love you. Mm-hmm. At least to me, that's what it yeah. feels like. And and we know it's such an essential ingredient to cultivating commitment to getting emotional and psychological devotion from people in the workplace to their work. It, it, you know, the relationship that they have with their direct supervisor and a number of factors and conditions that that supervisor creates is what determines whether or not that commitment's ever going to happen. And it's not out of bounds to suggest that does my boss care about me as a person? perhaps the highest ranking of those beliefs and conditions that people need to have in order to then develop that emotional and psychological commitment. And so uh, it's not just about psychological safety. It's it's recognizing that my role as a leader isn't just to get people to produce great work product in one way or another or to give answers and direction. It's to genuinely care about the person inside each employee and then how to overcome the challenge of, of showing that and explicitly expressing it over and over again. You know, and I think this script, I care about you, how can I help, is something that we can take and then also sit down and say, what are 10 other ways I can say this? Well, you know, there, there are variations. Instead of saying, I care about you, how can I help? We can say, um, I, I'm really impressed by your bravery. How can I support you? Mm. Or um, I, I noticed that you are uh, still pushing through and, and working hard here, and that means a lot, not just in terms of word, but of, of the work, but it tells me a lot about your character. Um, how, how can I be an ally? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you could just sit down and take this script and rework it over and over again, and then you've got this little sort of quiver full of arrows that you can fire off in a variety of circumstances to express that caring, but then also draw out more dialogue about the kind of support that you might be able to provide for them. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I, I just love what this simplistic yes. idea truly deeply means. And so I, I think that as leaders, if we can just take even the smallest step to being very explicit like this with our words to say, I care about you, that is never going to fail you. Yeah, absolutely. So there's your boss script, friends. Use it again and again, wherever possible. I care about you. How can I help? Well, before we close today, Alyssa, I thought I would tell you a quick story and tell our listeners a quick story um, that is just one of those little tiny things that when you experience it, it makes you go, hey, humankind ain't all bad. And I should I should actually drop our like our story music here. So here we go. Every time I hear that riff, I just give I picture like a cowboy around a campfire who's like, saunter on up, pull up a rock. I'm going to uh, weave you a yarn, tell you a tale. I don't know why I'm talking in this bad John Wayne voice. <laughs> It's the dad jokes. It must be. All right. So um, we are recording this um, the day after I got back from a long day of travel. I had three flights across the country, uh, two of which were delayed and one of which was rerouted. And um, it was it was a travel adventure. Um, (laughs) And uh, so if I sound a little punchy today, folks, it's because I'm going on about three hours sleep, which is amazing. Um, (laughs) So I finished flight two of three. And I get to the the airport in Atlanta, which is the the second busiest airport in the world. Um, yes, it, it was number one for a long time, um, but it is it is number two now, busiest in the U.S. And we're kind of in this weird place right now where capacity has not caught up with support. What I mean is, I've been traveling for a couple of weeks now, and airports are packed. They're absolutely mm-hmm. packed, but so there's still a lot of areas that are closed, um, uh, restaurants and, and businesses inside of the airports that have not fully opened up yet. So it's been a, an interesting adventure. Anyway, ah. uh, I finished flight two of three. It's about 930 at night, and I have not eaten in a long, long time. So I come mm-hmm. up the escalator after um, getting out of the, the gate area that I was in, and I'm immediately looking for some place where I can grab some food, and everything is closed. Uh, except there's one burger stand that's open and you can still see people at the register and there's still people in line. Uh, And so I kind of look right and left and there's nothing else. And I'm like, all right, it's a burger. So I go running over to this line uh, and I, I get in line behind this younger guy and I say, Hey, is this the line? And he turns around and he says, yeah, but they told me I'm last because they're closing. Oh, And I'm like, "Uh Oh, okay. Like, can I, blend in? Can I kind of sneak in? Because I really need some food. Uh, yeah. And right at this point, uh, one of the workers comes out and she says, we're closed. And she like pushes past me and takes like that band that closes the queue line. You know how they have like the the, the, the ropes oh, yeah. that, yeah. And she's like, like, like with an Little elbow, like a little bit of a hip check. Yeah. Oh, um, baby. And I, I really played the sympathy card. I'm like, I haven't had food all day, please. And she, and she was like, no. And that was that. And she... <laughs> was done and i i feel for her you know yeah. huge crowd she's been there all day they don't get paid enough so i you know I, i'm it's not her fault but oh. um but as soon as she turned around and walked away the young guy in front of me turns around leans in and whispers 
hey, man, tell me what you want. I'll order your food with mine. And I'm like, this guy is a good human. And so I told him, you know, I I wanted a cheeseburger with no tomato, no pickles. And um, he was like, let me try to get that right. You know, he cared really a lot about getting my order right. Uh, and, and then he waited in line and he, he ordered both sandwiches and, and I insisted on paying for his burger too. Like I said, Hey, this is teamwork, man. Let me, let me, let me do that. That's awesome. And, uh, they were really behind. So we ended up standing there for about 10 minutes and talking and it's amazing what you can learn about someone and the connection you can make with someone, uh, in just a 10 minute conversation. He, his name was Marco. Hi, Marco. If you found this podcast and you're listening, thanks for the burger, man. You're a, you're, <laughs> you were a hero that day. Um, Aww. and he was from Columbia and, um, he was, uh, returning from what will probably be his last visit with his mom because his mom is in the end stages of dying. And we talked about that for a little while. Uh, And then we talked about travel and music and our jobs. And um, it was just a nice conversation. And then when the food finally came out, uh, we reached into the bag and we each grabbed our burgers and we went our separate ways and wished each other well. And it was just one of those things where I was like, you know, that was probably a really hard day for him already, you know, with the mom thing and and travel's never easy. And I think a lot of people would have just kept their head down and, you know, my problem wasn't their problem, but his head right. was up and he said, hey, man, tell me your order. I'll, I'll get your food with mine. And I'm like, wow, really cool. It does give me hope for humanity. I, I have to say, like, I have been dipping my toe back into society mm. because <laughs> I feel Coming so out of the cave. Like, right, right. I I just feel like... There's not all of that great stuff out there that I used to think that there that there was. And so Marco reminds us there is goodness out there and you have to go out and get it and you have to go out and give it. Mm-hmm. So Marco, a- thank you for feeding our Joe. That yes, and the, bur- and the burger was good, and I ate it in like four bites because I had to get to my next flight. But there's another funny little aside about the story, um, and I didn't know this until we were getting the burgers and finishing up. He had kind of the same situation when he got there; they were kind of trying to close the line, and the woman mm. in front of him said, "No, he's with me," and like they didn't know each other, but like he looked at her and he was like. Like, help me out here. And she was like, yeah, yeah, he's with me. And like, so they, they totally did that. And then he paid it forward back to me. And when I was trying to get in line, I was like, no, we're together. Like me and Marco. And the the lady turned around. I was like, no, (laughs) she was like, we did that already. We ran that scam. You can't use that one. Entertaining. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. I love that story. Thank you. Well, and so I think it's fun to end with a story. So thanks for hanging out with us for story time. All right, friends, that's our show this week. Wherever you are, whatever challenges you are facing, know this. When you go to work and you put your people at the center of everything you do, you're doing this leadership thing right. No one expects you to be perfect except maybe you. So give yourself some grace and keep trying, friends. We'll see you next time. This show is sponsored by Joe Mall and Associates. Remember, commitment comes from better bosses. Visit JoeMall.com today. Hey, boss heroes. More than once you've heard me say commitment comes from better bosses. But where do better bosses come from? 
answer the Joe Mullen Associates Boss Better Leadership Academy. The managers on your team are going to develop the self-awareness, knowledge, skills, and relationships critical to success in a one-day training. If you want them to motivate teams, maximize effort, and create the conditions for your employees to thrive, they need ongoing education. When your organization subscribes to our Boss Better Leadership Academy, all your leaders get to join me for a monthly learning event. These live coaching clinics, micro trainings, and dynamic virtual summits take just a few minutes each month, and the year-round access to our digital vault gives you all the recordings for on-demand use, new manager onboarding, and more. Oh, and everything we do is evidence-based and highly entertaining, if I do say so myself. Best of all, for most organizations, you can get a year of this continuous leadership development training for less than the cost of bringing me on site for a one-hour keynote. If you want managers to lead well, they need to work on it year-round. It's like going to the gym. If you go once, you'll get a good workout, but no long-term results. If you keep going, though, you get healthier and healthier over time. The same is true for bosses. They need continuous learning and mentorship. So what are you waiting for? Let's give your leaders the skills, tools, and knowledge they need to supercharge commitment and boss better. For more information, including pricing, visit joemall.com forward slash academy.